Morning, church. Um, I do want to thank Miriam for reading this passage, and I do also want to say that when I first selected you to preach, uh, to read this passage, I didn't realize it was about children and parenting. So, not to put you on the spot in any way, but or to question your your behavior in any way. All right. So, but yeah, this morning we're going to talk about uh, relationship between children and parents. Um, which it's going to be interesting. At the same time, it's also a, I realize that it's also a sensitive uh, topic for many of us, you know, because as parents, we often do not want people, other people, to tell us how to parent our own children, right? Or to, you know, look at our kids and to make sort of whatever sort of judgment on them and things like that. So I understand that it's going to be hard um, for us, perhaps, you know, as we, understand this passage, understand Paul's heart for a spirit-filled family in the church. You know, as parents, we all have moments where, you know, we're the father of the year or mother of the year moments, right? Where we did something great for our kids. And then we also realize that, you know, from then, we also have parenting-filled moments where, you know, we forgot something, we left our child somewhere, you know, I totally forgot about that, and things like that. And of course, for children, we, you know, have those sweet, angelic moments where we are always, you know, behaving well, and then the ultimate meltdown moments where nothing will stop them from crying, stop us from crying, or just yelling out, and things like that. As we look at this passage this morning, you know, despite of, of everything that we know about parenting, about relationship between our children and parents, you know, Paul's instructions here, I want to affirm you, it's meant to help us. It's meant to set the tone for what a healthy relationship looks like, what a spirit-filled family relationship looks like. And in order for us to fully grasp the heart of Paul's teaching, you know, we have to go back to chapter 5. Verse 21. Remember the last passage, the last line in, in chapter 5, verse 21, uh, the sermon that I preached two weeks ago. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, Paul calls all of us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this command actually sets the tone for all relationships. You know, the reason for our submission to each other is out of reverence for Christ. And if you think about it, as Christians, you know, Christ is in us. Christ lives in us. The Spirit of Christ is in us. Therefore, we are Christ to each other when we submit to each other. But mutual submission, and that's something that we have to remember, mutual submission does not negate authority, the need for authority or hierarchy. You know, submission, as Paul have in mind, is simply taking the mindset of a servant who instead of waiting to be served, right? We take the initiative and responsibility to go out and serve others and to meet their needs. And therefore, when you look at all the three categorical relationships that Paul talked about later, which he did, uh, which Corey preached on last week about, about marriage, and this week we're going to talk about um, parents and children, and next week, Corey's going to preach on, or the two weeks after, Corey's going to preach on bond servants and masters. These three relationship, category relationships, you know, Paul's going to affirm that while they are hierarchy, 
between wives and husbands, between children and parents, between bond servants and masters, there is also mutual submission to each other. And there's no contradiction to it. And so before any of us you know, have any misconception about what is going on in this passage, I want to assure you, I want to assure you as parents and as children that this is not a sermon that I'm preaching on to beat the children into obedience, to wield the children to obedience, nor is it about gloating or boasting parents' authority over their children. But rather, this is about how we, children and parents, come together to live out and understand our responsibilities as a spirit-filled family that God has in mind. And so, in this relationship, there are responsibilities on both sides, parents and children. We're both called to serve each other. We're both called to submit to each other. And this is the heart of Paul's passage. And so, this morning, I want to first talk to the children and to help you understand your responsibility. You know, the first thing that Paul talks about is obedience. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for it is right. Now, obedience is not an easy thing. I know that. I get that. Because it requires us to do something sometimes that often we don't want to do. You know, adults and children all struggle at various times to do that well because why? We are all sinful. But yet this is what the Lord desires of us. This is what the Lord requires of us. And so how do we go on helping our children to obey their parents? You know, for some people, you may defer to fear tactics or obey me, you know, or fill in the blanks. Or sometimes we resort to passive-aggressive tactics. You know, I remember a conversation I had with a friend from seminary a long time ago. You know, he told me that growing up, his parents would regularly read to them from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 to 21, to remind them about obedience. And if you don't know anything about Deuteronomy 21, you should check it out. It's not a passage that you should use for your, for your children. I guarantee you that. But it is a passage that, I don't know if it's a joke or if it's a fear tactic or any, any form of tactics in any way, but, but it's definitely not ideal because we are wielding fear out of our children so that they will submit to us. And that's not often the case where, where it will succeed. It may work for a while, but it will not work well for us. But instead of that, instead of any of these tactics, Paul is telling us two very important things about obedience that will be helpful for us to remember as children. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, the phrase, in the Lord, is key here. Children are called to obey their parents because by doing so, they are obeying God. This is one of the clearest instances a child who comes to faith can learn. You know, God has placed parents as guardian and given them authority over their children. And children can learn to obey God even at a very young age by learning to obey their parents. This is the clearest instance of how we can help our children understand who God is and understand how to love Him by loving the parents. Now, before you consider all aspirations, you know, as children... You have aspirations on what you want to do, perhaps in future, how you want to serve God, how you want to do great things for God. Before you consider all of that, learn how to obey your parents. 
Because this is the great thing that you can do right now. Learn how to obey your parents. Learn how to love them. But I want to say that there's also one thing, there's also a caveat into this obedience. Now we must remember that obedience to parents is not blind obedience, but obedience in the Lord, which serves another aspect of this truth that children must not obey anything that is contrary to God's command, even if the parents demand it. Children must not obey anything that's contrary to God's command, even if the parents demand it. As believers, our allegiance is first to Christ, and every other relationship must come under Christ so that we do not end up disobeying God or doing things that is outside of God's will. You know, growing up in Malaysia as a Muslim country, you know, I have accounts and, and conversations with, with people that I've come to know with who came to know the Lord. But they came from a Muslim family. And as you know, um, as a Muslim, you're born as a Muslim. You're born into the family as a Muslim, and you're never allowed to, to switch your religion in any way. And so for these people who come to faith as a Christian, you know, from a Muslim family, think about all that they have to live through. Think about all that they have to give up. You know, think about all the risks that they have to endure. You know, when a child of a Muslim family comes to trust in Christ, he runs the risk of losing ties with his biological family, being ostracized by his community, his friends. Because no one who's born a Muslim can be converted to any other religion. And so what happens to these people, to, to these people who come to faith in Christ? What are the decisions that they have to make? Now, will they remain loyal to Christ? Will they remain faithful to Christ? Will they disobey the will of their parents in order to follow Christ? It's a hard decision, but this is a decision what Jesus talks about in, in Luke chapter 14, 26. You know, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is setting is a very, very strict standard. You know, in order to be a disciple, we must be willing to give up everything for Jesus. And this is the standard of Christ. Following Jesus requires commitment and faithfulness in all situations. If and when we are faced with the painful choice of loyalty to family versus loyalty to Jesus, we must choose to obey Jesus. Now, it is hard. I get it. It is incredibly hard to make those decisions. But that is what Jesus asks of us. And that's what Jesus demands of us simply because of his sacrificial love for his people that he himself did not value his own life and gave it up for his people, for the people that he loves. And so he calls us to follow him in that manner, to follow him sacrificially. But at the same time, he calls it, as he calls us to follow him sacrificially, he also knows, he also assures us that that when we do follow him, that we will lack nothing. That we will lack nothing. And so, 
Obedience to the Lord. Obedience in the Lord is important. And Paul delivers another point about obedience. He said, Obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. Why is it right? Who made that law? Well, Paul here is affirming to the universal natural law that children are to obey their parents. It's not just Christian laws that teaches us to obey our parents, but all cultures, you know, all ancient cultures from the Greeks to the Romans to a modern world culture today, every religion, every culture affirms that. They all affirm to this universal truth. And so while the emphasis here is on all children to obey because this law has been written in all their hearts regardless of their religious background, regardless of their cultural background, one can also emphasize the importance of parents to teach and enforce obedience among the children. If children are called to obey, parents must enforce obedience then. This is our responsibility, which we're going to talk more after this. So remember, when we enforce children to obey parents, we're also enforcing them to obey God because we stand as representative of God to our children. To allow our children to disobey and defy parents is to allow them to do the same thing to God. That is how we see the relationship. And so Paul then move on to honor. You know, the next thing that Paul tells children is honor. Verses 3 to 4, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. If children are called to obey their parents, what happens if they're older? What happens if they live as adults? Are they free from obeying? No. Although children who are adults make their own decisions, they live their lives as they see fit, Yet Paul doesn't allow them to get away from their responsibility because he calls them to honor their parents. So adult children are called to honor their parents. To honor is to give respect and to esteem them with appreciation. Now whether you're an adult, whether you're young or an adult, you bear this responsibility. Why? Because this responsibility is not based out of natural law, but it's based out of God's Word, the divine revelation of God. This comes from God Himself when He delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the fifth commandment. This commandment also comes with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Of course, this shouldn't be taken literally, but certainly there's some truth to it if you think about it. You know, a child who consistently disobey his parents' instruction to stop running into the street, he may run the risk of being hit by a car, right? In that sense, you don't have a long life to live. A child who refuses to, to stop playing in the water or, or when, when he can't swim runs the risk of drowning. In that sense, you don't have a long life to live. But yet, while this is true, this promise is not a blanket assurance that every person who obeys will live a long life. That's not the point of it. Rather, it is a general promise that God's blessing is on everyone who obeys and honors his parents. God's blessing is on everyone who obeys his commandment. As we think about 
this command to honor, you know, we, we ask ourselves this question, how can we practically live it out as young children or adult children, especially we consider how hard it is for us to honor our parents. If our parents are hard to honor, you know, how can we do that well? I know that there are some of us whose parents have neglected their responsibility to love their children. Some of us grew up with parents who are overly demanding. Some of us have parents who are hard to please. And some of us have parents who are abusive. How can we honor our parents? Now, how can we honor them? Here's the thing, you know, one of the things that we must remember as a believer, as Christians, is that Christ has freed us from all our need of approval and all our need to be accepted by people. Because through his work, you know, as we read earlier from, from our assurance that we are adopted and loved by our Father in heaven. We are not, no longer have to live to, to the expectations of people, to the approval of other people, because we have been accepted by our Father in heaven. We have been loved by Him. We have been adopted by Him. And this means that we have the approval of Christ. We have the approval of God. And He has freed us to live. And He has freed us to love people. And He has certainly freed us to honor our parents even if they are hard to honor and love. Why? Because this, 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 this is what it means. You know, Christ has called us to love our enemies. It's the same concept. Christ has, loved, has called us to love our enemies. And he doesn't tell us to love our enemies because they are lovable or because they will love us back, because they will be kind to us after this. No, he simply tells us to love your enemies that's it. You're not expecting them to accept you or to receive you or to love you back. He's simply telling us to love. He's simply telling us to honor. He's simply telling us this is our responsibility. So our responsibility as children then is to honor our parents by taking the initiative to love them even if we are not loved in return. To forgive them even if they are unrepentant to do our best to please and care for them even if it, does, if it does not meet their expectations. Remember your responsibility and leave everything else to God. You know, even when it's hard to love, even when it's hard to honor, as children, we are called to do so because this is a commandment that God has given to us. But yet as you do so, know that you are not bound by their approval or by their expectations to love you back because you have the approval of God. You have been loved by God. You are sons and daughters of God. Remember your responsibility and leave everything to God. And this way we truly live out the promise and our lives will be healthier and free from bitterness, anger and anxiety and false expectations, false approval. God is giving you the freedom to love people, to love your enemies, to love those who are hard to love. Because he has loved you. And here's one more thing I want to say to the children. Now, if you think about this, Christians are always under the microscope of, of the culture around us, right? They're always looking at what we do and how we respond in situations. 
They're always ready to call us out when they see a scandal or hypocrisy or controversy. They're always observing us how we respond to people, how we respond to authorities. And so when God calls us as children to obey and honor our parents and the Lord, and we do that well, what are we showing here? We are showing our parents and the world through our actions how we honor those in authority over us. You see, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother and the Lord, it's not just a commandment about parents. It's not just a commandment directed to parents. It's ultimately a commandment that is directed to those in authority over us. It is about a relationship between those in authority and those under authority. It encompasses the call to honor our employer as employee, honor our leaders at church as church members, honor our government as citizens, honor God as his people. Now, you want to learn how to, how to obey those in authority, you learn that by obeying, by honoring your parents first. You know, I can't give you all the examples on how we do it practically well, but as I mentioned, you know, these are, are implications. These are, are you know, are, are points that I think as we learn together as, as a church, you know, as we continue to apply what we learn about our relationship with our parents, it's going to help us as we think about how we looked at authority, those above us, because as, as you all know, we all live under the authority of someone. We all work under the authority of someone. And ultimately, our, we li live under the authority of God. And so if we learn how to obey our parents, we are showing the world on how we obey those who have authority over us. And so now, as, we, as I talk a lot about children, I'm going to talk to parents. You know, the responsibility of parents. So much of, our, of what our children learn today comes from imitating their parents. Now, we as parents have responsibility to model what is right for them. And this is influential for them in their younger age, but also equally important when they're older. And as parents, we need to ask ourselves, what are they learning from us about God? What, what is our children learning from us about God? What are they learning from us about humility, pride? What are they learning from us about how we handle our anger, our frustrations, and our failures? What are they learning from us when we sin against them or anyone or if, if we are sinned against? So how we model to our children is important. Important. But at the same time, we also must remember that sometimes things don't always turn out the way we want it. Now, we have countless examples in the Bible that godly parents don't always produce godly children. And the same can be said about wicked parents. But here's the thing. God is always in control of every situation, including the destiny of our children. But yes, parents, you know, we have the responsibility to guide our children well, to care for them well, to teach them well. We, as parents, have to anchor ourselves in Christ and trust that He will lead us to the best of our ability to teach them, to parent them well. We can't make our children trust in Jesus or to love Jesus. We can't make that. We can't will them to that. They are not born 
as Christians, unlike a Muslim children, unlike Muslim children, you know, born as, as Muslims. They're not born as Christians. And so we can't change any of that. We can't yield them to, to love Christ. But we can create an environment, a culture, a home that is filled with Christ so that they will always have the opportunity to hear about Christ and to know Him. But how do we do that? Paul here offers two points. Look with me in verse 4. Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. You know, although Paul mentioned fathers here, this command actually should be applied to both parents because, you know, Paul had mentioned about honoring both parents. And this mention about fathers is essentially similar to what we understand as brothers. Remember what sometimes when the, the Bible talks about brothers, it is essentially referring to both brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so here this command is for both parents but at the same time, there's also a slight emphasis here, especially in their context, in the context of Paul, particularly directed to fathers. Here's the reason why. Because in, in Paul's days, fathers have complete control as head of the house to make any decision pertaining to the children's welfare. You know, William Barclay in his commentary noted that a Roman father has absolute power over his children, especially his over his family, sorry, especially his children. You know, he could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in, in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law in his own hands and punish as he liked. And further, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's life so long as the father lived. A Roman son never came of age. You are always under the authority of your father. And <laughs> think about how terrible the situation is for, for children born in those days or live, in, live under the house of their parents in those days, especially their father. If you think that it's hard to honor your parents in our day and age, how much harder it is for children in those age considering all that they have to endure. And this is why Paul begins this command with a negative command to parents, to fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, Paul is not saying do everything to make your children happy so that they will never be upset. That's impossible, right? As parents, that's impossible. But what he's saying is don't do anything that's inconsistent with our spiritual values that will be detrimental to their upbringing. Don't do anything that will, have, that will cause long-term effect, long-term bitterness, Frustration and anger in their lives. Now, we may not relate to the intense situation of the first century Roman world, but yet we are more than capable to provoke anger through our words, actions, in our time and day. We are more than capable today. You know, I can think of some examples that are prevalent in a competitive, driven, perfectionistic world today. And I would confess that I am guilty of that too. You know, one way we provoke anger among our children is by comparing them with other children in their family or among their friends. You know, out of the desire for them to succeed in their academics in, or, or being competitive in sports, we constantly criticize them for not living up to the standards of 
of other people or comparing them because they are not as good as other people. You know, another way I see how we provoke them is that we set false standards and expectations in their lives. You know, sometimes we project our thoughts as parents and emotions into their lives to wield success out of them or we pressure them to pursue goals that are not their own so that we can feel better, so that, we can, so that it feeds to our own ego, our own pride of how accomplished and successful we are as parents. In other ways, we provoke them by disciplining them inconsistently. Sometimes we allow them to get away from their sins without holding them accountable. And this sort of creates confusion at other times when we want to discipline them. It creates inconsistency, which leads to arguments and anger from each other. And then another way that I see, too, is, is the lack of appreciation, lack of encouragement and love. Sometimes we are too quick to point out to their mistakes, guilt trip them or shame them publicly for their mistakes. But we don't do enough to express thankfulness or approval for their accomplishments, for the small things that they've accomplished. No, we're not setting up our kids well when we provoke them to anger. We're not creating Christ-like behaviors when they can, where they can emulate from us. And so this is how Paul directs the command to parents right now. Do not provoke your children in anger. And instead, he said, we're called to bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. Now, as parents, other than Nurturing and caring for the physical well-being, we are called to disciple our children spiritually in the Lord. This means that we must build rhythms in our lives that will enable us to find the means, find the ways, you know, that make sense for us as a family. To build these rhythms into our lives, to have teaching moments where we can talk about Christ. You know, it could be a bedtime reading routine with your children or conversations over mealtime, or perhaps even a car ride back from church. You have to figure out ways to build these rhythms into your lives where you can actually have a teaching moment with your children to teach them about Christ. Remember, we are primary teachers. We are the primary teachers of our children, not our Sunday school teacher, not our pastors, although they are important too. But yet, the teaching responsibility have always been given to parents, since the beginning. We're called to teach them to the best of ability. And, but this doesn't mean that every parent should have seminary-level education to be able to do that. We don't need that. And I get that sometimes we may not have the ability or may not have the knowledge as well. But here's the thing. We have the beauty of a community as believers. We live in a community among friends and members who are believers who can then come alongside to help us and encourage us. Remember the vows that we take you know, as a congregation. Remember one of the vows that we take as a congregation when, when a child is baptized, is that as a church, we come together to what? Help the parent to disciple his or her children. We come together as a community. And that's why the beauty of the community comes into place here, to encourage each other, to help each other. If you struggle in teaching your children Bible, guess what? Get help. Get help from someone who can 
guide you, who can teach you well, so that you can do that to your children. Don't get help to have them do it so that you can do something else, but get help to have them teach you, to have them guide you, to have them explain certain things to you so that you can explain to your own children. Don't discard your responsibility because you don't have the answer. Get help. Another thing to consider too is that not only are we called to teach them the truth of the Bible, that's really important, but at the same time, what is equally important is that we are also called to show them these truths. You know, I'm a visual learner, so a lot of times, if you give me a bunch of instructions, it's going to be really hard for me to be able to follow it, but if you show me a video, (laughs) you show me a picture, you know, it's a little easier for me to learn. And so I think a lot of times children need that too. They need to be able to see. And as parents, we need to be able to show. Don't just explain to them about repentance and forgiveness and grace and love of Christ. Show them what that looks like in real life. Show them what it looks like in our interaction with them, with the people around us. Every day we have an opportunity to exhibit Christ to them through our failures through our weaknesses, and also through the power and strength that we have in Jesus. Don't discard those teaching moments. Show them what living in grace looks like. Show them what repentance looks like. Show them what living by faith looks like. Show them what living in dependence of God looks like. Show them what loving sacrificially looks like. What living in hope looks like despite of all the circumstances in our lives. Don't just tell them about the Bible. Don't just talk to them about Jesus. Show them through your life. Show them everything that is great and not so great. Show them your failures so that they can see and learn. Show them your dependence on Christ so that they know that they they don't have to have everything together. Everything becomes a teaching and discipleship moment for our children. So don't be afraid to show that. Don't be afraid to model it out, whatever the circumstances in your life. So as we think about Paul's instructions here, I know there's a lot that we're we're trying to grasp here. But here's what I want to summarize here in conclusion. You know, as you look at what God is telling us as parents, as children, you know, perhaps you, like me, are looking at this passage and, and finding, wow, This is incredible, but at the same time, this is also revealing so much about what a failure I am as a parent, what a failure I am as a child. You know, this is revealing to us perhaps guilt in our lives, that perhaps, you know, I've been, you know, I've I've struggled as a parent. You know, I've not parented my kids well, or perhaps it's revealing guilt in you as children. You're thinking that I've made a mess of my life. I've rebelled against my parents so often. And know that, none, know that none of your mess and your failures are too great for Christ. Even as you recognize these guilts and these failures in your life, know that these are not too great for Christ. You may be living in guilt, but know that Jesus is able to take your guilt. In fact, He has done that. In fact, He has done that for you as believers, as Christians. Remember, you are no longer living under the expectations of anyone else or approval of anyone else. 
you're living under Christ. And so Christ has done all that for you. He has accomplished everything for you. And He has forgiven you. And He can also empower you in your struggles. So look to Jesus. Jesus is able to forgive and help you in your day-to-day struggle as a parent, as a child. He can transform your life and give you rest from your burdens and your weariness when you come to Him, when you trust in Him. So this commandment that Paul talks about, children, obey and honor your parents in the Lord for it is right, for it is because God has commanded it. And parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but instead discipline them and teach them in the Lord. These are commandments for you. Not because you have to do this to please God, but because you are loved by Him, you have been accepted by Him. So He calls you to live this way, to honor Him, you know, to live this way in freedom, not out of expectations, but in freedom. So trust in Him, live it out, continue to, to trust Him to, to help you and guide you. And even when you fail, know that He's there to pick you up, to forgive you. Because none of us are perfect. None of us are able to do this together. We need each other and definitely we need the Lord to do this well. So let's pray. Only Father, I pray that, that Lord, even as we look to such a weighty passage, sometimes we, we try to measure ourselves in what we have accomplished, what we are able to do well and what we're not able to do well and, and try to wheel our own strengths to to accomplish it. I pray that, Lord, you help us, you free us from, from such thinking because, Lord, you have died for us by sending your Son, Jesus, to die for us. You have loved us. You've cared for us. You've accepted our failures, our weaknesses, and you've called us to come to you, to embrace you. I pray, too, Lord, that you assure us as parents, as children, and the Lord, that we will continue to live and obey you, not, not simply because you know, we have to, but, but because we want to. I pray that you will continuously, continuously change our hearts and cause us to see your grace and your mercy and your love for us so that we will be able to respond in that manner, that we will respond in grace, in love and mercy to others around us, to our own children, to our parents. Help us to love you. Help us to, to obey you. Help us to trust you. Help us to anchor ourselves in you in all that we do. We commend all this in Jesus' name. Amen.